Fatales. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And this week we're going to be talking all things Pixar and Disney Pixar. That's right. And we're going to be discussing the Pixar theory and the animation filmmaking journey of Pixar Studios. Shall we get started? Absolutely. Okay, so the Pixar theory was introduced by John Negroni in 2012, who has since written a book about it in 2015, also entitled The Pixar Theory. Yeah, I mean, the last time I saw this video, I watched I watched the Super Carlin Brothers video Same. about the Pixar theory, and that was the first thing that really like brought my attention to it. And that video came out in what 2013, 2014? Yeah, I so, watched a little bit of it, but then I found like a picture version of the timeline, and I was like, I'm just gonna take notes off of this instead of yeah. watching the video because it's like 45 minutes long really yeah it's like a really long video i didn't think it was that long well they recently updated it and i was doing oh, the updated version that had like why. the good dinosaur and bray mm-hmm. bray, bray was, was in always in it yeah mm-hmm. i meant the good dinosaur and like coco and kind of those got it so yeah um got the, it. um john negroni in his little like picture infographic he split it up into two parts part one starting with the good dinosaur and ending with inside out and then part two starting with coco and ending with the monster sink franchise with the boo Mm -hmm. is the witch yeah yeah so i'm familiar with most of it i'm just not familiar with like the good dinosaur and how inside out and coco fit in i mean granted i will be honest i never saw the good dinosaur i've only seen it once so um, and to preface this, um, I was telling Gabby earlier, since Luca just came out, what, like, two weeks ago? Is um, it... yeah, like, two weeks Some... ago. Somewhere in there, like, two weeks ago, um, we couldn't find any existing Pixar theory fitting Luca into it videos mm-hmm. with, um, like, I think the Super Carlin Brothers did one, but I found it way too late. <laughs> yeah. But it's fair. I mean, it's cool. I haven't seen it personally, so I haven't that either. Was also, so, like, I didn't want to talk about something that I hadn't seen. Exactly. I mean, if we haven't seen it, then I think that would be, yeah, like, kind of awkward to talk about it. Yeah. So, shall we get started? Absolutely. So, The Good Dinosaur, again, is what starts it off with 65 million years ago or the Cretaceous period. And it, mm-hmm. um, the good dinosaur entails the alternate ending with, or alternate universe of Pixar, which is kicked off by the asteroid missing Earth and preserving the dinosaurs for hundreds of years and millions of years. And that is when we first see an- accounts of animals when left to their own devices, being able to communicate and build communities. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how the bugs do in Bugs Life mm-hmm. and the monsters in Monsters, Inc. Yeah. So, yeah. Makes and then sense. Yeah. And then Brave, which started it all back in 2012. I know. The Crazy original, enough. original. The I, original, original ending. I love Brave oh, so much. Same. I love Brave. Same. <laughs> yes. Um, and that is how magic is introduced to the world mm-hmm. with the witch 
and it has the power to bring inanimate objects to life, turn humans into animals, and create portals between wooden doors. Exactly. That sounds kind of familiar. It's very familiar. It sets up um, the whole thing for Monsters, Inc., the only the only caveat to that, which I would assume can be explained by like the progression of time in science, is the door to uh, the abominable snowman's chambers or like house or wherever he lives, right? His mountain. Yeah. Um, because that door was metal. But I I think that can be just easily explained with, oh well, you know, it's been hundreds and hundreds of years since we've discovered that and we've just well yeah because monsters Inc. is the last one timeline wise yeah exactly so it can easily be explained through just we just figured it out you know yeah um and then the next one with the pixar theory is the incredibles and that is when we get the beginnings of by and large or bnl which is the massive energy source throughout the mm-hmm. rest of things with wally being created by bnl and mm-hmm. the cars being powered by bnl and all sorts yeah. of things that is why incredibles is important to the pixar theory yeah it's the one linchpin that puts everything together yes um and then toy story bnl has gone into the and toy story 2 BNL has gotten into the toy business, and through um, the plan to harvest human energy, the toys are conducting power and feeding off of the raw emotions of children, so much so that they come alive and pursue an eternal obsession with making their owners happy, even when separated. Who does that sound like, then? Hmm? Hmm? Is that, is that Woody I hear? Yes. <laughs> Um, The next one on the timeline is Finding Nemo and Finding Dory, which is when we see animals continuing to develop um, the intelligence parallel to humans. And we see through Dory, um, through sheer exposure to humans, speeds up this process as she grows up in captivity, surrounded by humans, and as a result can read and learn other languages like whale. Yeah, I mean, she does a good job. She tries she real hard. She tries. I mean, who doesn't love Dory, right? I love Dory. Yeah. So the next one is going to be Ratatouille, which takes place in 2007. Just which I think this... is the year it came out. It, it is the year it came out. Okay. I I have it on my, on my thing. Don't even worry. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So um, basically, um, you know, continuing the line of animals becoming smarter and like obsessed with humans um remy the rat becomes so like engulfed in like human culture and society that he like eventually gets better than like a lot of humans and becomes like a super famous chef like the the best chef in france and like who knows i mean he could be the best chef in the world nobody even knows i mean he could who knows who knows um yeah so then, also, in 2007 is Toy Story 3, so they're happening, I don't know if they're happening simultaneously, or I don't like, either. you know, they're happening at similar time frames, probably mm-hmm. different times, but similar times. Um, uh, Toy Story 3 takes place 11 years after Toy Story 2, and let's see, there's like a lot of references from the earlier films that are like easter eggs in Toy Story 3, like we have Darla from Finding Nemo, she's on the cover of a magazine, 
And then, um, and then Boo from Monsters Inc. is seen as an older child. Yeah, and then um, it's shown that like Carl and Ellie from Up like knew Andy. There's a there's, yeah, there's a, postcard, like a postcard, right? It's yeah. like on his bulletin board when he's packing up the room at some point. Yeah, like getting ready for college. Exactly. Um, and then but- the most important part. <laughs> Is that Buzz's batteries are shown and they're branded B and L, so by and large, and that like you know connects connects more links between by and large and the other movies, and it also proves that it's ha- it's like making the toys sentient. Mm-hmm. Which, not gonna lie, as a kid, definitely had some nightmares about that. You see, I had nightmares because of what's the kid? Um, Sid. Sid. Yeah, Sid. Yeah, he caused some nightmares mm-hmm. growing up. The, like, weird, like, bug thing that had, like, the eight legs, like, the metal legs. Yes, and, and the, the baby head. And the baby head, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so the next one also takes place in 2007, which is going to be Up, one of one of the great ones. This One of the saddest, like, first ten minutes of any movie mm-hmm. ever. Um, I have a really cute memory that ties to Up, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, my high school, we would do, like, homecoming parades, and one year, yeah. the homecoming theme was Hollywood, so mm-hmm. that whole parade route was, like, or the parade floats were based on different movies. Oh, that's cute. And we had this substitute couple that everyone loved, and they dressed mm-hmm. up as Ellie and Carl. No, together. that's really cute. Yeah, it was, like, so cute. <laughs> that's really cute. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, up is next, and... It, like, really continues and we really see, like, the true potential of animals through the collars that Charles... What's his last name? Munch? Beats me. You have a better guess than I do. I think that's his last name. I just saw this movie not too long ago. I'm pretty sure his last name is Munch. I think. Truth be told, I think the last Pixar movie I saw was Soul when it came out. Okay. Yeah, I just saw this movie maybe maybe two months ago. I was sitting there sobbing. It was fun. (laughs) So it like it really shows how intelligent the animals really are because you can actually hear them speaking, right? We can actually hear their thoughts, like like when Doug when Doug speaks, you know the hello, you are my master and I love you, like that whole thing. Yeah. I think it's so cute. It is. Like, may I come inside, please? When he's like <laughs> on the porch. This is actually like a pretty good like impression. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, the next one is Inside Out, and I'm also going to tie in Soul with this because everything that I saw with Inside Out and Soul, it was kind of intertwined anyway. Mm-hmm. But it is Pixar finally revealing the source of human energy, which is emotion and is the imagination, or as well as imagination that has differing levels of power based on the person as demonstrated in Monsters, Inc., mm-hmm. We also meet Bing Bong, an imaginary friend who appears to be based on a comedic monster Riley may have interacted with from post-Monsters, Inc. world. Yeah, or from the new uh, series, Monsters at Work. I haven't seen it yet. It looks The first so two episodes are adorable. I need to I watched, see it. I watched the first two episodes and they are so cute. It's really good. Now we're into part two with Inside Out finishing part one. Yeah. And part two begins with Coco. Woot woot. I remember Coco. seeing Coco for the first time. 
I love Coco. My mom There's laughed a- at me with how bad I was crying at the end of Coco. Oh, dude, me and my mom, we watched it together. We were sitting there, like, ugly crying. Like, she not had even, seen like- it in theaters with my little sister. Oh, and cute. then I saw it, like, on our couch. Like, we rented it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she was just laughing at me. Yeah, we watched it when... Yeah, we rented it, I think. And she and I were sitting there, like, ugly crying. Like, past sobbing into ugly crying. Now, I think part of it is because we, like, we are Latin, so we are a part of, the, like, Mexican culture. It's, like, part of us, and I think that's why it kind of hit so hard for me and my mom. Yeah. But it's just really sad, dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was so happy that, that it was like, oh, my gosh, look at that. I, I understand that. I know what that is. And they'd be, like, saying things in Spanish, and I'd be like, hey, I know what that means, or I get that reference. You know, it was just kind of fun. Yeah. And Coco, it shows possible hints of how human er- energy transfers itself in the afterlife through music and the emotion it um, provokes, as well as hinting, or as well as there may be clues hinting at the connection between the corporeal spirits and the wisps from Grave. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the wisps are all supposed to be like ancestors, right? They're supposed to be According the spirits to, of ancestors. Um, yeah, that culture, the wisps mm-hmm. are the ancestors. And we even yeah. see it in the movie with, oh, why did I do this? I don't remember the bear guy's name. Mordu? Mordu. Thank you. The only reason I know is because every time I think I almost said Montague, of... but I... <laughs> is there Capulets nearby? <laughs> no, the only reason I remember his name is because it's the one, it's like one of those things that you say from Brave and like the accent, like the super sick thick accent. Yeah, the Mardu, like, <laughs> just super fun. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway. Anyway, next we would have the Wally prologue, which shows that by 2057, BNL has taken over the entire world and its governments. Mm-hmm. That's revealed in Wally, which... Um, leads to a ravaging of Earth's resources due to overpopulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, because of the overpopulation... Mm-hmm. But that comes later. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, but now, with, like, the humans gone... So, we're going to Cars, Cars 2 and Cars 3. Yep. Um, so, now with the humans gone, the machines are left to rule the world unchecked. As we see in Wally, you know, at the beginning... or towards the after the like little prologue thing when we have all of the the you know all of the other different wallies running around and all the other Mm -hmm. robots and buildings and all that stuff so like following the rules of toy story cars are owned by humans who love them they come to life and they find a new purpose um and then without the humans around they like resume the roles of their previous owners and carry on with human tradition as like the planet be like starts to heal but, as revealed in Cars 2, there's not enough fuel to go around, let alone, let alone human emotion to power them, so the cars eventually die out as well. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, sadly. And now we get to Wally, where, like, Operation Cleanup ended, and but B, um, B&L evacuated mm-hmm. before one city was finished. The last Wally unit is still cleaning up things and has survived this long due to being solar powered and his obsession with human trinkets. Mm-hmm. Which, and movies. And movies. 
right? Yes. He watches Singing in the Rain, yeah, and it's does. so cute. I love Wally. Ugh. Oh my gosh, I love it too. I need to watch oh. it again. I have a painting in my room that I painted of like three different scenes from Wally, and the first one is of him holding the boot. The second one is of him when, like, Eve, when he has the, like, string of lights tied around Eve and they're, like, sitting watching the sunset and it's, like, all, got all the trash behind them. Yeah. And then the last one is when they're in space and he's using the little, the fire extinguisher and, like, the fire extinguisher makes, like, a heart around her, like, the, the, the poof That's from the so fire extinguisher. Yeah. yeah. it's really cute. I'll have to um, send you a picture. Or yeah, you will. In editing, insert picture here. <laughs> Ta-da. cool <laughs> and we'll be we'll post it to our instagram so those yeah. of you who are audio listeners will be able to you'll be able to see it, it too or see it yeah <laughs> watch it but then later he helps an eve unit bring a starliner back to a restored earth so humans can repopulate and start over which yeah, leads they bring us the into axi- axiom. Oh, axiom axiom yep axiom because yep. that ties in another pixar movie yeah, the, the, axiom. the axiom is important. Yes. Yes. It actually ties in my favorite Pixar movie. So. Oh, interesting. We'll see which one it is. Yes. So, um, the next is going to be A Bug's Life. So, after nearly a century of repopulation, human emotion and energy has returned to spark the world enough to prompt insects and birds to start rebuilding their own societies um, and to start repurposing small leftover human artifacts as cities now bugs don't seem to care much about humans and they prove to be a lot smarter than other animals likely because they've survived the cars era as shown through the cockroach and wally i wanted i always wanted to name him i always thought he had a name i always felt like it was like his name was doug or something i wish i mean like he he seems like he would be like a doug but there's already doug the dog so who knows whatever who knows he needs a name so if you're listening to this go to our instagram um, there is going to be a poll. Let us know what you think the name the of the cockroach and Wally stories. should be. Yes, it'll. We'll save it. We'll save it to our uh, our highlights. Yeah. So let us know what the name of the cockroach and Wally should be. Yes. <laughs> so unlike more uh, primal birds, bugs are inventing things and they're putting on circuses and they're developing like an interconnected civilization of their own. So like. They just like, they're just like humans, but but bugs, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Speaking of bugs, I'm really sad that we don't have Bugs Land anymore in California Adventure. I miss Wait, it you so see, much. We had um, what is it? The Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That's what we had instead of Bugs Land. Yeah, we had Bugs Land, and it was really cute, and it was full of like kitty rides, which was fun. But we still, ours was a playground. Oh. Yeah, um, ours had ours had what was it? It had, but it was also not Bugs Life. We still have a Bugs Life thing. Like Bugs Life isn't taken out of Disney oh, World. We don't have Bugs Life at all. It's we in had, the like, Tree of Life, and there's like a little show, and it's like in the Tree of Life in Animal Kingdom. Oh, that's cool. And that show creeped me out as a kid, and still <laughs> kind of does. <laughs> I avoid that show, um, because they like make the seats like make it feel like bugs are crawling on it multiple times during the show and it's just like Ooh. no yeah i don't yeah. know if i like that i also was like deathly afraid of what's the hopper hopper yeah 
as a kid because Same. my elementary school this was our that was like their favorite movie to play like on a rainy day was bugs life um the next one is monsters inc after bugs life and mm-hmm. in the monsters inc dvd there's a myth that human um there's a myth to the monsters universe that humans who look like animals, rebelled against humans at some point. This myth coincides with the idea that the animals have fully evolved past humans, creating the monsters we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and, happened before Monsters, way before Monsters University. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Way before. This is, like, prequel to Monsters University. Mm-hmm. Um, but the monsters are still reliant on human emotion as power, and... We see them harvesting it, like, through fear in the beginning, and then through happiness and through the Mm -hmm. comedy um, by the end, and using the doors as portals through time, the monsters keep this fact a secret in order to preserve the timeline, because Mm -hmm. we can't have this minutes knocking down in the TVA Mm -hmm. on the monsters. Mm -hmm. Um, Loki reference. That was good. Yeah. Um, convincing all monsters that anything from the human world is extremely toxic. So then, at the end of Monsters, Inc., we see the little epilogue, and Sully's discovered, well, actually, Mike discovered it, that, um, that laughter and joy are more powerful than fear, and this ends the Pixar timeline at a moment of true harmony between humans, animals, and machines. Now, however... Sully does expose a boo to the monster world. So, desperate to find him and like remembering the power of the wooden doors, right? Of the doors, Boo grows up and becomes a witch in order to find Sully. And people say that this is the same witch in Brave who has traveled to the past to find Kitty, who looks like a bear, right? And the witch from Brave is obsessed with bears. Mm hmm. Full circle. She doesn't realize that Sully lives in the distant future and not the past. And there's even a drawing of Sully in her workshop. In her workshop, yep. In Brave. Yep. Um, and you may have noticed that we didn't mention Soul and Onward and Toy Story 4, and that is mm-hmm. because other people have added to the theory, the most notable one we have mentioned being the Super Carlin Super brothers, brothers, who have every single time a new Pixar movie comes out, they'll do a how this movie fits in the Pixar theory. So, Soul, it basically, I didn't even write notes on, about it, to be honest, um, because it basically just, like, confirms Inside Out mm-hmm. is basically what happens there. Um, but Toy Story 4, it, what it kind of explains the notion brought by Cars, which is that he is owned by a human who loved him, um, came to life, and has found a new purpose, and he has lived the most livable life at the end of Toy Story 4, which causes him to come to life and leave with um Bo Peep. I almost said Boo. <laughs> I saw this thing. I don't know if I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I saw this thing not too long ago. And it was like, you know you're old when the Toy Story characters' feet at Disneyland and Disney World say Bonnie instead of Andy. Wait, they do? Mm-hmm. I know, I saw it too, and I was like sad. I was like, what the heck is this? I was like, what is this garbage? And then my personal favorite Pixar movie. Got it. So for Onward, do you want to talk about Onward? Yes, please. Go for um, it. According to the Super Colin video, it takes place after Wally, and one of the ships from BNL, which is co- known as the Axion, 
crashes on another planet. And in the movie, Ian and Barley, played by Chris Pratt and Tom Holland, are questing towards a huge mountain in the distance called Raven's Point. Turns out their destination... It isn't their destination, but it is ours because Raven's Point is not a mountain at all. It is a perfect nosedive crash landing of the Axiom. Like, they full-on, like, showed the Axiom and in the video and mm-hmm. doing, like, a nosedive um, crash into the planet. And it mm-hmm. is the exact shape of the mountain. That's crazy. Yeah, so... And it's been hundreds and thousands of years, so nature has just grown up around it, concealing its true nature being the axiom. These people at Pixar, do y'all know you're doing this? Are y'all doing this on purpose? Yes, they definitely are doing it on purpose, and we're going to get, like, at the end of this, we're going to get, like, an Avengers Endgame style thing movie. With all of them. <laughs> Can you imagine? Okay, like Merida Woody and teaming Cars. up with... <laughs> <laughs> Merida teaming up with Mike and Sully, teaming up with Boo, teaming up with teaming the witch, and then the witch Nemo. meets Mike and Sully again, and she like freaks out, and they have a fish tank, and that's gonna have Nemo and Dory in it, and then like they're gonna get in a car, and the car's gonna Pixar start talking. Yeah. Assemble. So that is the end of the Pixar theory. Yeah. Now we're gonna move on to the history of Pixar Animation Studios. Now, I did like. Probably three hours worth of research for this section. Jeez. It's enormous. Okay, let me tell you. Going into this, I thought it was going to be super simple. I was like, oh, yeah, we could do Pixar and Disney Animation Studios because it'll be no big deal. No. No. <laughs> Dude. Because I, I was going to start writing Disney notes, and it was already getting really long. Like, we're going to have to do our own, like, separate We're going to have to do a Disney. whole separate Disney Animation episode because... Just Pixar alone is has some has a crazy history. And it's only been around since what, the seventies? Nineteen seventy-four. Wow. Yeah. Now take that times two, that's Disney. <laughs> now True, because what it was like nineteen twenties when Snow White came out? Nineteen thirty six. It's Afterthought Gabby. So when Emma and I were recording this episode, I was fairly certain that Snow White was released in 36. But after some Googling and some like rechecking my sources, I realized that it was actually released on December 21st of 1937. But if you Google it, it's going to say February 4th of 1938. So I guess it's kind of disputed when it was released because Google says one thing, but Wikipedia says something else. So I'm going to go with 37 because that's what they have on Disney Plus. So there you go. Back to the podcast. Yeah, I just, I, the only reason I know that is because I just started listening to this podcast. It's really good. I highly recommend it. It's called, oh, it's Disorder. D-I-S hyphen order. They're so funny. I think I told you about them the other day when we were like, talking you? about the different podcasts. Maybe we did. Yeah. I don't know. They were really good. I like them a lot. Um, to be very vague on the situation. Yeah. I highly recommend going to listen to them. They're really good. So anyway, back back to the back to the Pixar thing. Oh, that's the only reason I know Snow White came out in thirty seven because I was just listening to the first episode, which is Snow White. Okay. Um. Um. But so. yeah, so Pixar got its start in nineteen seventy four when New York Institute of Technology's founder Alexander Shore. Mm-hmm. Can we guess? Yeah. Who was also the owner of a traditional animation studio, established the com- uh, Computer Graphics Lab. CGL, 
and recruited computer scientists who shared his ambitions about creating the world's first computer animated film. Yeah, and the original first four members of the CGL were um, Edwin Catmull, um, Malcolm Blanchard, Alvy Ray Smith, and David DeFrancisco. And they realized pretty early on that they were going to need help from a studio to make feature-length films. So Francis Ford Coppola invited Smith to his house for a three-day media conference where Coppola and George Lucas actually shared their visions with, um, with Smith for their vision, visions of future digital movie making. It, it's like crazy to think that like... Pixar had, started because of, of Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, it's totally <laughs> full circle. And now they're owned by the same company. I know. That's what I mean. Like, it's crazy. It's just like, whoa, who would have thunk one day they would have just weep back together. Mm-hmm. So from that three-day media conference, six employees of the CGL moved to Lucasfilms to work in their graphics group. Now, they left the CGL gradually because they didn't want to tip off sure because I they didn't really explain why. They didn't want to tip him off, but they didn't want to tip him off that they were all going to Lucasfilms. So, but eventually, um, Shore did join at Lucasfilms, and the group invented actually a few different animation processes while at Lucasfilms. Now, the first one is alpha channels, which is the process of combining an image with a background to create the appearance of a partial or full transparency. Um, the next one is Rays, R-E-Y-E-S. And that's a rendering software, and it stands for Render Everything You Ever Saw, which I think is so cute. That's so cute. And then the last one is Particle Effects, which actually, so I don't know if you even know this, Gabby, but my high school that I went to, we had a computer animation program and computer Mm -hmm. modeling, so I got to work with Particle Effects a whole bunch in that class. Nice. So Did you know you were working with things that were invented by the guys who made Pixar? No, <laughs> though my teacher did work on like, like extra work for like the Jungle Book movie and stuff like that. That's like, cool. Like he made like extra birds in the background for the Jungle Book movie. That's cool. Yeah, um, but it is a tech. Um, the particle effect is a technique that uses many minute sprites, three D models, and other graphic objects to simulate certain kinds of fuzzy phenomenon which are otherwise very hard to reproduce with conventional rendering techniques, usually highly chaotic systems, natural phenomenon, or um, processes caused by chemical reactions, such as fire, explosions, and galaxies. Yeah, and they they made it for the galaxies in Star Wars. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh. Because I guess maybe Lucas was like, mm, not galaxy-y enough. You know what's funny? Hmm. Is I used it for a lot of my, like, Star Wars-based projects. That is fair. That is totally fair. That is exactly what it was made for, so. So, <laughs> I think this funny. Yeah. So then, um, John Lasseter was hired to be on the Lucasfilms John team. <laughs> John Lasseter. For a week in the late, in, uh, sorry, in late 1983 with the title of Interference Designer. Then, in the next few years, um, a designer suggested naming a new digital composting computer the Picture Maker, 
Um, and Smith suggested that with the laser-based device, like that it should have a catchier name, and came up with Pixar, which after a meeting was changed to Pixar. Wow. Dun, 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 dun. And then in 1982, the Pixar team began working on special effect film sequences with industrial light and magic, and it became the VFX company. Uh, no, it, it, oh. In, oh, it industrial is. light and magic is a VHX. Okay. VFX company, a visual effects company. Okay. I kept trying to say VHS. <laughs> Oh, honestly, I that's why I went very slow with V V F X. I know, because otherwise I'm gonna start saying VHS. Yeah, yeah. We grew up in that generation. So, after many years of research and key milestones such as the Genesis effect in Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan and the stained glass night in Young Sherlock Holmes, the group, um, which then had about forty people was spun out as a corporation in February of 1986 by Catmull and Smith. Um, one of the major projects made out of the new studio as was an animated Christmas special for NBC try, starring Chuck E. Cheese and other Pizza Time Theater mascots. So, you know, like the bird. I don't know what her name is. And, um, oh, what's his name? Pasquale. Is that his name? The, I don't the, know what you're The Italian guy, about. the chef guy from Chuck E. Cheese. I only know Chuck E. Cheese. There were others? Yeah. There was like, there, okay, insert picture here. There was like, okay, there was Chuck E. Cheese. There was, um, there was the bird girl. Um, there was Pasquale. And then there was like a dog. Okay, that's this all is I remember. Coming back to me. Um, I'm looking at. The I want to say there was a purple guy, but I Jasper think the purple T. guy Jowls? was. Yeah, that's the dog. But Mr. The purple guy... Munch is the purple guy. The purple guy. Yes. Okay, I thought it was Helen Henny. That's the, the bird. Yep. And then Pasquale. Yeah. The one thing I was gonna say is it sounds like a bad movie, kind of like the holiday special. Exactly. The that's, I think Star that's kind of what it special. is. Yeah. Okay, so it's, like, on the same level, because I was like, I've never heard of this. Yeah, it was known as the Chuck E. Uh, e. Cheese, the Christmas that almost wasn't. That's what it was called. Okay, so, so basically the holiday special, but for Chuck E. Cheese. Yep. So, and then after that, um, after they made the special, um, PTT, which is uh, Pizza Time Theaters, um, the company that owned Chuck E. Cheese, had to sell, they had an animation program called uh, Cadaverscope. And that's what the Pixar people used to help animate this film. And they actually sold it to Lucas to keep PTT afloat in 1983. Um, they also had like a different video game side of things. And they sold that to Bally Games, which is a slot machine company. So basically all of their machines are now owned by Bally Games. That's so weird. I didn't know yeah. all this. Yeah, it, they're owned by a slot machine company, which also makes sense why, like, now the games are a little bit more rigged. True. Than they were when they originally, excuse me, when they originally <laughs> opened in, like, the, the 80s and stuff. Well, are there still Chuck E. Cheese's around for you? Yeah, there's, like, three. Okay, there's only one that's, like, really left that I know about, and it's I know where do. my college is. Oh, we should go. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, there's a few. There's a Would few Would you come here. and visit me sometime? 
Yeah, there's one in Mira Mesa, and then there's one in Yuma, Arizona. They're still open. I went pee there one time. Anyway, in 1986, the newly independent Pixar was headed by President Edwin Catmull and ex- Executive Vice <laughs> President Alvy Ray Smith. Yeah, and then... um. Like, just before they became independent, Jobs invested $5 million cash. $5 million Jeez. in 1985 monies. Um, and he joined the board of directors. That now? Yeah, that's a big hunk of cash. But yeah, and he joined the board of directors as chairman. And um, while in at Lucasfilm still in 1985, I know I'm going back a little bit, um, but it's just because this ties into what happens afterwards. Um, so at ni- in 1985, while still at Lucasfilms, they made a deal with a Japanese publisher, Shakugan, to make a computer animated movie called Monkey, based on the Monkey King. And the project continued... What's the of, Monkey King? I have no idea. I'm assuming it's something along the lines of Donkey Kong or, Godzilla, or uh, King Kong, but I have no idea. Um, but the project continued some time after they became a separate compi- company in 1986. But it soon became clear once they became a separate company that the technology wasn't really sufficiently advanced to continue on the project and the computers weren't powerful enough and the budget would be too crazy high. So they focused on the computer hardware business for years until a, a computer animated feature became more feasible according to Moore's Law. Now, really quickly, Moore's law is the observation that uh, the number of transistors in a dense integrated circuit, I see, doubles about every two years. So it's more of an observation and a projection of historical trends rather than a law of physics. And it's an empirical relationship linked to gains from experience in production. I know that was a lot of big words. Basically, it means that it's a pr- it's a prediction chart that base that basically says the more experience we get in a certain thing, the more gains we will have, and it comes in cycles of two years. Yeah, that's basically what it means. So I looked up what monkey uh, Monkey Kong was Monkey King or Monkey King. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. Um, and it's about a Chinese monk from centuries ago like 602 oh and it was about his 17 year journey to bring um buddhist teachings from india to china Hmm. interesting that's who monkey king is that's not at all what i thought it was (laughs) no i was like i want to look this up i definitely thought it was like donkey kong not gonna (laughs) lie (laughs) So, at the time, Walt Disney Studios was interested and eventually bought and used the Pixar Pixar image computer and custom software written by Pixar as part of its computer animation production system, or CAPS, project to um, migrate the, like, super, like, labor-intensive ink and paint part of the 2D animation process and make it more automated. And the company's first feature film to be released using this new animation method was The Black Cauldron. Um, Jobs, who was like the major shareholder, like majority mm-hmm. shareholder, he said, let's take the computer system mainstream and sell it to the general market. Um, but the computer had like really bad sales 
And that actually threatened to end the company um, because of the intense financial losses. Now, uh, Jobs increased his investment again uh, in exchange for increased stake. um, And he reduced the proportion of management and employee ownership until eventually his total investment of $50 million gave him control of the entire company. $50 million. And he was now a majority shareholder. He was now, like, the highest shareholder. He owned the company. Wow. I did not know that Steve Jobs had any stake in Pixar until, like, today. I think I knew about it, but not to the extent. I thought he was just, like, on the board. Yeah, no, I didn't know that until today. And now I'm like, dang, he was a smart guy. Um, and then in April 1990... Pixar sold its hardware division, including all proprietary... Proprietary? Proprietary. I'm so tired. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Proprietary hardware technology and imaging software to Vicom... Vicom. Vicom Systems. Mm -hmm. And transferred 18 of Pixar's approximately 100 employees... That year, Pixar moved from San Rafael to Richmond, California. Pixar released some of its software tools on the open market for Macintosh and Windows systems. Yeah, so those would be like the disks that you would go buy and then download onto your Mac or your Windows computer. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that when you had to buy like disks of software? Oh, I do. Oh, my gosh. I remember. And we're the same age. Microsoft Office. Like... I think it was Microsoft Office. Don't quote me, but I think it was like six or seven. Okay, I remember Microsoft with the DVDs. Yeah, where you had to get the little like CDs yeah. and put them yeah, in your the computer CDs and put them in the computer yeah. to get so, the software. Yeah, it was like that. That's what they were. It's retrospective, Gabby again. So upon listening to this, I realized that there's a very high chance that these could actually be floppy disks rather than CDs or compact disks. But the two time periods kind of overlap, so I'm not really sure. It could go either way. But just so you know, there's that. Oh. So, yeah. So as 1991 began, um, there was a layoff of 30 employees in the company's computer hardware department, including the company's president, um, Chuck Kolstad. And this reduced the total number of employees to just 42, which was about its original number. So they went from 100 employees to 42 employees. Jeez. So um, during this time, actually, Pixar made a historic $26 million deal with Disney to produce three computer animated feature films, the first of which was Toy Story. And the product of the technological limitations that challenged CGI. Yeah. And Toy Story grossed over or more than $373 million worldwide. And when Pixar held its initial public offering on November 29, 1995, it exceeded Netscape's as the biggest IPO of the year. In its first half hour of trading, Pixar stock shot from $22 to $45, delaying trading because of unmatched buy orders. Shares climbed to about $49 US and closed the day at $39. Yeah, which is like crazy unheard of. Yeah. Again, remember, this is like 1995 money, which isn't like 
much bigger, but still, 1995 money, $22 to $45 is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So then during the um, 90s and 2000s, Pixar gradually developed something called the Pixar Brain Trust, and this was the studio's primary creative development process. Um, All of the directors and writers would lead, um, sorry, and lead storyboard artists regularly would examine each other's projects and give out like notes and you know just like work with each other and it was like a peer review system rather than like an executive review system which was what's been done for hundreds of years before that well not hundreds but like since movies started it was like executives reviewing the films whereas in with pixar it's peer reviewed which i think is really cool yeah yeah Um, because of the pixar brain trust that led to a much more like communal feel and like everybody felt like you know we can be open with each other and the notes were often a lot more like candid and they weren't so you know like stuffy and we need to do this because of the money you know it was we need to do this because this makes it a better story yeah um pixar and disney had disagreements over the production of toy story 2 originally intended to straight to video release and thus not part of Pixar's three-picture deal. The film was eventually upgraded to a theatrical release during production. Pixar demanded that the film then be counted toward the three-picture agreement, but Disney refused. That, though profitable for both, Pixar later complained that the agreement was not uh, quittable. Equitable? Yeah, I am, like, reading these words for the first time while recording. This it's is okay. <laughs> I've read these, like, four or five times. Pixar was um, responsible for creation and production, while Disney handled marketing and distribution. Profits and production costs were split equally, but Disney exclusively owned all story, character, and sequel rights, and also collected a 10 to 15% distribution fee. Yeah, and that created, like, huge, like, lots of contempt between the two studios, because Pixar wanted more ownership of their product, whereas and they wanted Disney just to be a distributor, whereas Disney wanted ownership of the product to do whatever they see fit. Yeah. Um, so I don't then, know much about it, but did you hear about, like, how Toy Story 2, they almost had to, like, fully restart? Yeah. Because they accidentally deleted it off of the mm-hmm. Pixar computers, but there was one woman who was on her maternity leave working on it from home. Mm-hmm. And that woman saved Toy Story 2. Yeah, she was the only one who had all of their work that they had had up till then. I don't remember exactly how it got deleted. I can't remember if it was, like, an accident or if it was, like, a virus that wiped their computers. I think it was an accident of, like, some intern is what the Super Carlin Brothers video, from what I remember, said. Yeah, I think you're right. But, yeah, she had it on her home hard drive, and they came and took it from her because it was the only copy of it. Yeah, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, usually when studios are working on big feature-length films that are all animated, especially computer animated ones, they have multiple hard drives and multiple copies, and they back it up every single, like, hour to make sure that their stuff gets saved. Oh, more than that, because my, again, my computers, or my animation class I took in high school, my computer Mm -hmm. animation, it was, like, every 10 minutes, hit save. Because we learned the Toy Story 2 thing that happened. Yeah. And that and taught us to save our projects. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I'm sure in, like, the animation community, there's probably, like, a joke where they're like, oh, you know, you don't want to pull a Toy Story 2. <laughs> <laughs> I probably. would believe it. Yeah. I'd believe it, too. So, 
Eventually, the two companies attempted to reach a new agreement. For 10 months, they tried to reach a new agreement. Um, They ended up failing in January of 2004, and the new deal would only be for distribution as Pixar intended to control production and uh, own the resulting story, character, and sequel rights, while Disney would own the right of first refusal to distribute any sequels. So... If they, if Pixar was like, we want to make a sequel, Disney could be like, no, we're good. And then they can't go to other studios to make a sequel. Um, Pixar also wanted to finance its own films and collect 100% profit, paying Disney only the 10 to 15% distribution fee. More importantly, as part of any distribution agreement with Disney, Pixar demanded control over films already in production under the old agreement, which included The Incredibles and Cars. Now, Disney considered these conditions unacceptable, but Pixar, like they were like standing firm. They were not going to give up. So disagreements between Steve Jobs and um, Disney chairman and CEO Michael Eisner uh, made negotiations even more difficult than they otherwise might have been. They broke down completely in mid-2004 with Disney forming Circle 7 Animation and Jobs declaring that Pixar was actively seeking partners other than Disney. So that's like a pretty huge deal that like from the beginning they always worked with Disney and now they're saying we don't want to work with Disney anymore. We're seeking somebody else. Um, So then negotiations um, resumed following the departure of Eisner from Disney in September of 2005. In January of 2006, Disney ultimately agreed to buy Pixar for approximately $7.4 billion. That is billion with a B. Billion dollars. Which seems target parodies and Twisted. I don't know if you knew that. but I in, don't. Okay, so at, um, in Twisted, you know the prince that we see in the beginning of Aladdin? Uh-huh. So they label him as the prince of Pixar. Mm. And the whole thing is about the arguments between Pixar and Disney is the kingdom is what they're having to deal with and they're about to go to war with the land of Pixar. That's so funny. They find out at the end that they found all these treasures and they literally make a joke where she um Jasmine asks the captain of the guards how much money he's like, well I didn't have time to account. But it looks like approximately seven point four billion (laughs) dollars. And then the prince goes sold pleasure doing business it's funny because it's joe walker playing the prince oh okay he plays voldemort yeah yeah but yeah they paid approximately 7.4 billion dollars but it wasn't in like cash it was in stock yeah um so following a uh, following pixar shareholder approval the acquisition of pixar by disney was completed on may 5th of 2006 the uh, transaction catapulted Steve Jobs, who owned, get this, 49.65% of total share interest in Pixar to Disney's largest individual shareholder with 7% share valued at $3.9 billion. Jeez. That's billion with a B again. And a new seat on its board of directors. And get this this part boggled my mind wait till i tell you this so jobs knew um disney holdings exceeded holdings belonging to ex-ceo michael eisner um who owned who was he was the previous top shareholder so this was the guy who was previously like the most senior guy when it came to like he owned the most of disney that any one person could own 
and that was 1.7 percent that was the previous top shareholder and then again steve jobs yeah steve jobs owned seven percent and then listen to this this is even crazier so disney Disney, director the isn't he the brother he is the brother of disney yes he's the brother of walt disney again i got another correction for you so actually roy e disney is the son of roy o disney and roy o disney is the brother to walt disney he only owned one percent of the corporation's shares at the same time as jobs owning seven percent so could you imagine steve jobs owned more of disney than disney (laughs) (laughs) like i was like what when I read that, I could not stop laughing. I thought that was the craziest, craziest well, thing. I don't know, because I, like, watch a lot of the Disney, um, what are they, documentaries on Disney+. Mm-hmm. Plus, and it kind of shows that, like, Roy liked to take more of the director's side than, like, the yeah. businessy side after I mean, he was passing. He was the director um, emeritus? I don't know how to say I it. I don't know emeritus? how to. I don't know. But, That's um, why I avoided that word. I Same. Um, but, like, he was, like, basically the creative director for, like, everything. He was the director that everybody went to. He, like, had to approve every project. Um, You see him a lot in, like, especially Waking Sleeping Beauty, which is an amazing documentary. Go and watch that. Yeah. Um, uh, He's in in the Imagineering Project as well a lot. Yeah. That one's really good. But, but, like, he... He he is a Disney. He like, is and I'm the sure... brother of Walter Walt- Elias Disney. Disney, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that's crazy. Steve Jobs owned more of Disney than Disney did. <laughs> so um, the reason for that actually is because Pixar shareholders received 2.3 shares of Disney common stock for each share of Pixar common stock. So oh. for one share of Pixar stock, it was worth 2.3 shares of Disney stock. So, I mean, it makes sense that he earned, like, he gained stock, but, like, that's a lot of stock. <laughs> I, I, was, I was planning out after I read that in my head. I was like, okay, new life goal, slowly buy up shares of Disney stock until eventually I become the majority shareholder, and then it's party time. <laughs> I don't think that's fan fatales. I don't think that's going to happen, No. <laughs> I don't think it could possibly ever happen. I mean, it would probably take hundreds of years and thousands of millions of dollars. But I was like, plan done. Yeah. <laughs> so as part of the agreement deal, John Lasseter, um, by then he was the executive vice president. He became the chief creative officer at Disney. And so he consulted with um, Robert Iger and Roy Disney. Um, That was part of his deal is he had to consult with them when it came to creative decisions. Um, He was also um, the uh, principal creative advisor at Walt Disney and Imagineering, which designs and builds the company's theme parks. And the positions that the guys at Pixar earned didn't necessarily mean a merger between the two companies because Pixar was to remain a separate entity. And um, it still does because it's Disney Mm -hmm. Pixar. Exactly. Films created by both studios were to be titled a Disney Pixar movie, which it still is today because they are technically not merged. Disney just owns them. So to maintain the studio's separate entities and cultures, notwithstanding the fact of common ownership and common senior management, um, he and Lasseter, he being um, 
he being who? <laughs> I don't know. Iger? No. Nope. I don't know. Somebody in Lasseter drew a hard line that each studio was solely responsible for its own projects and would not be allowed to borrow personnel from uh, the other like studio and they wouldn't be able to like lend tasks out to the other so that rule ensures that each studio maintains local ownership of projects and can be proud of its own work for example when pixar had issues with ratatouille and disney had disney animation had issues with bolt like nobody from the other studio was able to come and bail them out they had to solve the problems on their own even even if they knew somebody from the other studio who could come help mm -mm, can't bring them in wow yeah so, um, the last little tidbit I have here is, this is like the very end, this is like the most recent thing, otherwise they've just been kind of chilling for now, uh, making their new movies, is that, um, John Laster stepped down in November of 2017 due to, um, sexual assault allegations, and in 2018, Pete Docter replaced him as chief creative officer. Which Pete Docter was a lot of the directors for a lot yeah. of the earlier ones, I know. He directed a lot like of the- Monsters, Inc., Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. He directed a lot of movies. I know um, specifically off the top of my head, Inside Out. Yeah. I know he worked really heavily on Inside Out. Soul, Inside Out, Up, Monsters, Inc. Mm -hmm. yeah. Monsters University, Wally, Toy Story 2, Bugs Life. Like, he was there. He directed the almost all of them. He wasn't there from the he very He was there beginning. for Toy Story. Oh, was he? He's someone on Toy Story. He, he worked on it, but he wasn't the director yet. No. But yeah, so that is an abridged, complete history of Disney Pixar. Yeah. Formerly known as just <laughs> Pixar. Well, that is a lot of history. Yeah, I know. It, it's really crazy. I Seriously, I always thought that it was literally just like kids in a garage in San Rafael. And then like all of a sudden they just got discovered by Disney one day. Like I didn't realize it was just like, yeah, you know, same I know. Yeah, that's weird. So, um, what's the last segment we're going to do today, Em? Um, so I know we just did our top five episode last week, but we forgot to do Disney Pixar movies. I know. Like, how could we forget that? Dude, so we're going to talk about it real quick right now. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, I seriously, I'm like, wow. When I re once I realized that, I was like, wow, how could we forget that? Yeah. So why don't you go first? Because I just talked a lot. Um, okay. So, as I said earlier, Onward is my number one favorite um, Pixar movie. I just loved it. I'm actually very... Have you seen it? I don't know if you've even seen it. No? No. <laughs> it's very d and I'm surprised you haven't. I don't know. I just... It never really, like, piqued my interest. It's, like, very d and Okay, I'll take a look at it. Maybe I'll watch it tonight. Okay. Um, then my next would have to be Coco. I love Coco. Coco which is I also see my number two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going off the top of my head. I don't have it like written down. Go for it. I think Finding Nemo would just how like I grew up with Finding Nemo. Cause what year did it come out? Even two thousand two, two thousand no two thousand three. Okay, I was I was I was like right there. You were there. Um, you were closer than I would have been. So, <laughs> I don't know. I was born in 2001. Nemo was just a year um, younger, than, younger than me. Yeah, Nemo was 19 years old. I don't like thinking about that because I don't feel 20. 
You know what else was crazy? What? Well, no, it wasn't that crazy. I was going to say hearing people talk about how Snow White is almost 100 years old, but then I was like, nah, it's not that crazy. No. Um, trying to think. And then I really liked Inside Out. I think that will be my number four is mm-hmm. Inside Out. Ugh, Inside Out was really good. One. It definitely... It's not on my top... It's definitely my top 10. I mean, they only made, like, what, 15 movies? <laughs> yeah. Um, I just have, like, really fond memories of seeing it in the theaters for the first time with one of my, like, high school friends, Alyssa. Yeah, she it was I really went cute. went to see it that summer, and, like, we both cried at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then my last one would have to be Soul. Okay. Also have not seen... Okay, so two out of the five movies on your list I've not seen. I loved Soul a lot. I was yelling at Alex the other day because he hasn't seen it yet. Please don't yell at me. <laughs> I won't. On, live on podcast? No, it was it was in the comfort of late night Zoom calls with the Enigma cast. Fair. So my list, I, I'm really happy with my list. I like my list a lot. Number one is the Monsters, Inc. franchise just as a whole. Like, yeah. you know, I just kind of group them all together. Honestly, same. Especially since it's like, what, only two, technically? Yeah, it's two and then the show. So yeah. I really love Monsters, Inc. Monsters, Inc. is one of my go-to, like, feel-good Pixar movies. Um, number two, I put Coco, of course. God, love Coco. Oh, I um, love Coco. Me too. And number three, I put Brave. I love Ow. I just, like, cracked my jaw. I love Brave so much. I, like, hurt my neck <laughs> earlier. <laughs> I just cracked my jaw. I was like, ow. Yes, that is how much I love Brave. Like, I love that movie. I also have a painting of Brave. Insert here. Also will be posted on the po- uh, Instagram for those of you who are listening. <laughs> um, number four, I put Wally. I love Wally. Love it so much. And then number five, I put Up. I love Up. It makes me so sad, but I love it so much. Yeah. I really want to do a painting of, like, the house and all the balloons. I think it'd be really pretty That'd be and really cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fanfit's House. Gabby, would you like to tell our lovely audience what we will be chatting about next week? Of course. Next week, we're going to be talking about Star Wars. Let me tell you, I'm so excited for this episode. <laughs> Me too, and remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, and YouTube. Yeah, that's brand new. This is our first video episode. First video episode. Of course, we're going to put the other episodes, episodes one through nine, just with no video. Yeah, they're just going to be the logo. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. But anyway... Remember to leave us a review and comment down below if you're on YouTube to tell us what you think of the show. And remember to follow us on Instagram for the latest updates and to possibly be featured in a future episode. Our music is by our amazing friend, Maddie Macon. And our editing is by the amazing and wonderful Kara Linsmeyer. As always, thank you for tuning in. Bye! Bye.